0: Well, during this Christmas series this year, we've looked at, uh, it's just a short three-part series, and uh, if you'll throw that sort of calendar slide up there, we'll remind everyone of where we've been. The first week, we looked at the time before Christ came, all those people who waited for centuries for His coming. And then last Sunday, we looked at His birth and His life and His death and all that He endured for us. His birth was announced joyfully. It was a, it was a, a just a glorious time, but it turned very quickly into a life of um, suffering and uh, and abuse, and he went through all of that for us. And today, I want to bring us to our third message in this series and talk about his return. Uh, it's my humble opinion that we, as the church at large, do not spend enough time talking about thinking about focusing on the return of Christ. And I think that tells on us in some way that perhaps we are so occupied with everything down here that we just don't think about his coming that much. We need to. And I pray that today's little message will really turn our hearts in in that direction The Bible talks an awful lot about the coming of Christ. It talks an awful lot about heaven. Some people think the Bible doesn't have much to say about heaven, but it really gives us a lot. In fact, uh, Randy Alcorn wrote a book called Heaven that's about that thick, and it's a a classic if you ever want to read that. The Bible gives us both dire warnings and joyful promises about the return of Christ, and we must not focus on one to the exclusion of the other. It gives us very strong warnings, and it gives us joyful promises about what is coming. And so today we're going to look at those two things. First, we'll consider the warnings, and then we'll finish up by looking at the joys that await those who long for his return. When Jesus finished his earthly ministry, his followers were standing there, and they saw him ascend into heaven. And we pick up in Acts chapter 1, verse 10, and it says this, And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come again in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven statements like this are scattered throughout the bible and they're very easy to miss a few weeks ago when we had communion i pointed out to you that little phrase that we almost always miss that says we are to proclaim the lord's death until he comes and there's statements like that all through the bible it's it's just kind of like a blip of a radar it's reminding us gently he's coming again he's coming again are you ready Well, Jesus uh, knew that we humans are terribly forgetful people that were prone to wander from the path. And so he told a parable during his ministry to warn about the importance of being ready. Now, this is the only place I'm going to ask you to turn with me this morning. As uh, we did last week, again today, I've got a ton of scripture to give you. I'm not planning on spending any more time up here than I normally do, so I'm going to have to really put it in high gear, but we, we don't normally teach like this, but I want to give you a survey of what is to come in one message if I can. I, I'm not asking you to turn to all those other places. Here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you, if you would, just to just to say, Lord, would your would your word as I hear verse after verse after verse today, let your word just fall down on me like a gentle rain. Let me just soak it in. Let me just listen and just soak it in. And I pray that it will just bless your socks off. Is that what they say here in the South? Yeah. Hope there'll be socks just laying all over the place here when we're done. (laughs) Well, the, the place I'm going to ask you to turn with me is Matthew 25. So go ahead and grab your Bible there. First book in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 25. Now, I think I need to quickly say the chapter before this is obviously Matthew chapter 24. I, this is why I'm here, to help point out things like that. <laughs> Matthew 24, it's a gruesome chapter. Jesus talks about some of the, the horrors that people are going to experience when he comes, those people who don't know him, and it's, it's not bedtime reading for your child. So now keep in mind, Jesus has just finished that in Matthew chapter 24. Remember, in the original, there were no chapter-verse divisions. That came years later, and I'm thankful for them. They help us find things very easily. But in the context here, Jesus has just finished talking about all these horrific things, people praying for the mountains to fall on them. And he goes right into now what we're about to read here in Matthew chapter 25, verse 1. And he said this, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins, or we would say bridesmaids in this context of this parable in our culture, who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now, five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out and meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered saying, no, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. Verse 10. And while they went to buy, Now, let's not miss the important fact that this is a warning directed not to the unsaved world, but to those who claim to be followers of Christ. It's a sobering truth that many people who say they're Christians, who teach Sunday school, who stand in pulpits, who are well-intentioned people, that when accounts are settled in heaven, many of those very people are going to be turned away. Why? Because just like those five foolish bridesmaids, they knew what they were supposed to know, but they didn't do what they were supposed to do. They knew religiously, intellectually, they knew what they were supposed to know, but they failed to do what they were supposed to do. They were church-going, choir-singing, tithe-giving people. But they failed to prepare themselves for the groom's arrival. And just like in this parable, those people are going to be left out. It's horrifying. Jesus described that moment when those people will stand before him. Here's what he said, Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me, do you understand that? Broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many are on it. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have not we prophesied in your name? Wow, impressive. Have not we cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Did you know that churches across the world are filled with gamblers? I don't know if you realize that gambling was such a pervasive problem in the church. No, not that kind of gambling. Churches are filled with people gambling that their religious activities will be just as good in the end as a relationship with Christ. They're gambling that their superficial will somehow pass for substance. They're gambling that their bare branches will somehow bear fruit. But they're making a serious miscalculation. And when the bridegroom comes, it'll be too late. Remember the people who refused to listen to Noah as he worked on the ark day after day and preached the, preached the truth, preached the truth, preached the truth. People walking by, ah, what an idiot. Look at the old guy building a boat in the middle of nowhere. They gambled that they would be just fine. They heard the truth, but they said, no, no, I'll be just fine. But when the flood came and they were shut out of the ark, and by the way, it says God shut the door. There is a thought they instantly knew that they were wrong. But it was too late then. Time was up. These foolish bridesmaids were just like the people in Noah's day. They knew that they needed to prepare and they had time to prepare, but they just kept putting it off. Matthew 24 says this, verse 36, but about that day or hour, no one knows Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only my Father. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Oh, listen, verse, verse 38, listen, what a happy time this was. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men, listen to this, this is going to happen on earth when he comes. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore. For you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. Verse 43, but know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready. Be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. What does it mean to be ready? What does it mean to be ready for Christ's return? Surely that's an important piece of information. First of all, it means that you've been saved. You've been born again by the Spirit of God. 1 John 5, 11 and 12 makes this as clear as it could ever be. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Boy, is that verse offensive today in our politically correct, everyone's right culture. How clear is that verse? He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's that simple and that clear. First of all, it means that you're saved, that you've, not that you go to church but that you've come to the foot of the cross, as it were, and you've knelt there, and you've repented of your sin, you've you've confessed and admitted, God, I'm a sinner, I've done terrible things. Even if I'm the best person in Greenville, I've still done terrible things. And it's an offense to you, God. And I know that no sin can enter heaven. Flesh and blood, it says, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. We cannot go to heaven merely in this stuff. We must have been transformed on the inside. Have you ever come to that place? Have you ever said, Lord, forgive me, I'm a sinner. Wash me clean by your blood. I believe that you died and rose for me to forgive my sins and give me eternal life. I pray, God, come in, take over my life and be my savior. Have you ever done that? The second thing is, in order to be ready, is that if you're saved, you're living each day as though Jesus were coming at any minute. Now, I know that's easier said than done, but think about that. And listen, can I just say as you do that, please don't get uh, sidetracked or thrown off course by people making predictions about when Christ is going to return. Can I just give you a fact? All the people who have predicted the time of Christ's return have a 100% track record of being wrong. Don't get caught up in that foolishness. We're told not to. Matthew twenty four twenty six. so if anyone tells you, look, he's in the desert, do not go out, or look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. See, the assignment that the Lord has given us as his followers is not to try to figure out when he's coming back, but rather to remain ready for when he comes. And we're told precisely how we are to live in view of his return. Listen to this, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. Wow and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Did you catch that? Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. All of our best efforts to impress God, they're just going to go up in flames. Verse 11, therefore, in other words, in light of this, Since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Verse 13, Nevertheless, according to his promise, we look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Amen. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things. Be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. See, more important than knowing the day and the hour is making sure we have oil in our lamps, so to speak. Now, we could spend a whole sermon discussing and questioning and arguing what this means, the oil in the lamps. What does the oil mean? What does the lamp mean? Books have been written about that. That's not the focus today. You know, the oil in the, in the Bible generally represents the Holy Spirit. The lamp generally represents the Word of God lighting our way. And so I think it's pretty clear what, what Jesus is saying. We need to make sure we've been saved. We need to make sure we're walking daily in the Spirit and that we're watching for his coming, that we're keeping ourselves pure, ready for his return. Romans thirteen eleven, and do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now, our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. It's a strong warning. Those who do not know Christ or those who profess to know Christ but do not have the oil in their lamp, it's going to be a horrific awakening for them. But not only does the Bible warn us about being prepared for his coming, but thankfully, it also tells us what his coming will look like, and it shares with us the joy that will be ours when we're with him. Now, as I said, for many people, the the return of Christ is going to be a very unwelcome event. But for all who are saved and ready for his coming, looking for his coming, it'll be the beginning of unending, unbroken fellowship with the Lord. You know, down here so often our fellowship is like changing the dials on an old radio, and and you'll get it tuned in one minute, but then it's staticky the next. Because of sin, because of these sinful broken bodies and minds that we have down here, as we try to have fellowship with him, it's not unbroken. We break it all the time. We have to go back to him and repair it and make things right. Our fellowship with him, listen, we've only gotten a tiny taste of what it's like to fellowship with him. It's all clouded down here. It's all muddied up. But one day, folks, one day when we are with him, we will have unending, unbroken, perfect fellowship with him. Paul lays out this contrast very clearly between the people who are not ready and those who are. In Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 17, he said, Brethren, join in following my example, and note those who so walk, as you have us, for a pattern. For many walk, of whom I have told you often and now tell you again, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven." From which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to His glorious body according to the working by which He is able even to subdue all things to Himself. As saved people, we're not to be holding on to earthly things. Having earthly things is fine. But as I've said before, so it's it's you know the old saying, it's okay to have things as long as things don't have you. But as saved people, that's not to be our focus. We're not to be storing up our treasures here where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but to store up our treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Instead, we recognize that we're just strangers passing through this world. The old song, this world is not my home. It's very true. And yet, how deeply burrowed in do we get here so often in this life? I mean, boy, we dig in that foxhole and we burrow in and this is my space, this is my house, this is my land, this is my car, this is my job. And we protect all that stuff like it's the the end of the world, like everything revolves around that. All going to go one day. So we're not to set our eyes or thoughts or hearts or passions on the things of this earth, because we're just strangers passing through here for a little while. Our real home is in heaven." Second Corinthians 5:1. "For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, in other words, our body, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Hebrews eleven sixteen, but now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. John 14, verse 1, Jesus, in saying that he was going away, he said this, he saw that his disciples were upset and troubled and worried. He said, let not your heart be troubled. You know, in this world, our hearts are filled with trouble so often. You want to know one way to overcome that? Is think on what Jesus told his disciples in this moment of their trouble. He didn't say, calm down, take a Valium, take it easy, think positive thoughts, listen to a Tony Robbins CD. He didn't say any of that. They were troubled, worried, concerned. What did he say? He said, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And here's what he said to get their minds on the right place. He said, in my father's house are many mansions or many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. He said, I go or I am going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. On Christmas Eve, I'm going to sort of wrap up this three-week series that we've been with just a short, like, 10 or 12-minute conclusion to this series. And we're going to focus that night on the incredible fact that throughout the whole Bible, literally from beginning to end all the way up to Revelation, we read again and again how much God, the God of heaven, longs to be with us. He longs to dwell with us. In fact, he desires to be with us. Can I just say it? More than we desire to be with him. He says over and over again, you will be my people and I will be your God. I want to dwell with you. One of the things that he is looking forward to, if I can put it in those terms, is for us to be with him in heaven. He's anxiously awaiting for all of his family to be there together. Like an Italian mom, you know, waiting for all the boys to come in and eat dinner. Just so excited, just can't wait for everybody to be together. Jesus longs for that day, are we longing for it? And we picked that up there in that verse, you know, that where I am, there you may be also. And folks, all those earthly things that we thought were so important, all of them, they're going to fade into forgetfulness the moment that we're with him and we see all that he's prepared for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, But as it is written, Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. We're going to be with him There. Colossians chapter 3 verse 4, when Christ who is our life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Daniel seven eighteen: but the saints of the most high shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. And man, the things that we have to look forward to. Here are just kind of a little snapshot for you. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12, it's not just the things we're going to see, it's what's going to happen to us. It says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, like we don't see things as clearly as we should down here, but then we'll see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. 1 Corinthians 15, 49, and as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. First John three, verse two, beloved, now are we the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. But that's not all. Second Timothy chapter four, verse eight. Finally, There is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Revelation 3.21, to him who who overcomes, listen to this, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. Wow. As I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Folks, I don't have to tell you that this life down here can beat us up pretty bad. We, we can sometimes become weary of the struggles and trials and heartaches and tears and pain and loss, and it's especially in those times that we need to turn our thoughts to heaven and remember what God's Word tells us. 2 Corinthians 4, 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction. Paul wrote that. Have you read the list of things he went through? Unbelievable. You know how he saw it? Light affliction, man. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us, it's it's not for naught, it's working for us, a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Romans chapter 8, verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Are you kidding me? Us. We are heirs of heaven, joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Wow. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. 1 Peter 3:5 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3 excuse me blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead to what to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of god through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Oh, I want so much to go off on all of these verses, but I can't. I just want you to hear the word of God today. I don't want you to hear my my input. I just want you to hear, I just want you to hear the scriptures. First Peter chapter one, verse six, in this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials the salvation of your souls. And so the Bible tells us again and again, in this life, you're going to have trouble. You're going to experience hardships and setbacks and loss and pain. Count on it. But don't set your eyes on those things. Don't get bogged down by those things because there's something coming that is far better. Now, Jesus himself was the example of living a life like this. We saw last week, the horrors that he endured his entire life. Slander, ridicule, lies, abuse. Listen to this verse. This is how Christ handled all of that. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, And let us run with endurance or patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Now listen to this. Who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see the example he left for us. All that stuff we looked at last week, all the hardship and trials, even up to his death on the cross. How did he get through it? For the joy set before him. He knew that what he was doing was going to uh, result in the salvation of many. And he knew that all of us one day would be with him and the Father in heaven. And he thought about that joy that was coming, and he said, man, are you kidding me? I can make it through this day. I got something so much better coming. What do you do on those days when the world just seems to overwhelm you? Well, Titus chapter 2, verse 13 says, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do we ever live that way day by day? Oh man, I got this to do list. I got to hurry. I got it's just race, race, race from dawn till dusk. And I, I understand. Have you ever pulled off the side of the road at a beautiful sunrise or sunset and just looked at all those colors and and just thought, Wow, man, I am I am looking for the day when I can be with the one who created all that. And when Christ does appear, folks, it's going to be an event unlike anything the world has ever seen. I want to give you just a little quick taste. Matthew twenty four thirty. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Luke tells us this also in Luke 21, verse 25. And there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, and on the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on earth. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken Verse 27, then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Folks, this is going to be the most disruptive event in the history of the world. Just imagine millions and millions of people gone in the blink of an eye. It's going to be quite an event. Because you see, when Jesus came the first time, as we saw last week, he let the world mock him. He let the world spit on him. He let the world beat him up and lie about him and eventually nail him to a cross. But his second coming is going to be very different. He came the first time as a humble servant, but he'll return as a conquering king. He won't come as a helpless baby, but a mighty warrior. This time, we won't hear an infant's cry. We'll hear the victorious blast of a trumpet. His first coming went pretty much unnoticed by the world, but you better believe his second coming won't. Revelation 1-7, behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Listen to this, even those who pierced him, wow, wow. Just think about that. He is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I just love the ending of that verse. It's like he's saying, that's it, end of story. No discussion, no argument. That's how it's going to happen. For all those people who have rejected Christ This is going to be a terrifying time. Those left behind are going to be left in a world turned upside down. But for all who have been born again in Christ, there's going to be a totally different scene for them in heaven. And I want to begin winding this down now by sharing some of the glimpses with you of what awaits us in heaven. Revelation 7, 9 After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out in a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Verse 11. All the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Revelation 7:13. Then one of the elders answered saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes and where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, these these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Revelation 7.15, therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. There it is again. They shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any heat. For the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. What else are we told about it? Revelation 21, verse one. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, And God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. And then we're told this in verse 22 of Revelation 21. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it, But there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. But that's not all. Revelation 22, verse 1. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Then he said to me, These words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. And then this incredible verse in Revelation 22 7, Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And I'll leave you with the very last words in the entire Bible. You want to know what they are? Revelation 22, verses 20 and 21. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Amen. The very last thing the Bible says is, he's coming again. He's coming again. Folks, I don't, know, I don't know what might be bringing you tears today. I don't know what might be causing you heartache today. I don't know what might be filling you with worry or fear, stress or anxiety, concern. Remember this. Jesus is coming again. And when he does, he will wipe away all tears from your eyes. There'll be no more sorrow, no more pain no more fear, no more death. All those things are going to pass away, and he will make all things new. Can I close by asking you life's most important question? What have you done with this Jesus? Are you saved? Are you ready for his coming? You've been listening to a broadcast from Life Point Church in Greenville, South Carolina. If this ministry has touched your life in some way, we would love to hear from you. Just visit our website at www.lifepointsc.org for more information. Or, if you prefer to reach us by letter, you can write to us at P.O. Box 27036, Greenville, South Carolina, 29616, USA. Until next time... May God bless you as you continue to follow Him. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Open the eyes of my heart. of my heart.